Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. Our worship pastor, Brian Asbury, he, he told us during uh, one of our staff meetings, he used this phrase, he said, look at God go. And when I was thinking about the food box distribution, if gathering, all of that, the, the explosion of kids, that's, that's a bad wording, I'm sorry. The, um, the increase of children in our, in our children's ministry that's happening, I look and I say, look at God go. And as, Brian Asbury taught me that phrase because it was something that him and his friends said in Tennessee as they, were, as they were doing their thing in their church plant, and there was all this stuff happening around them that it wasn't by their efforts. Like, they put in so much, but then God provided the rest. And they said, look at God go, and it's shorthand for look at God go. Um, well, sorry, let me get this right. Look at God go providing all over the place. And so they would say that when it was clear that it was God at work in their midst. And I... I when he said that, I clung to it, and I grabbed that phrase, and not just because it's catchy, and not just because it's cool, and I want to be cool like Brian Asbury, but I grabbed onto it because it helps us really frame things in a proper perspective, in a proper light. Oftentimes, when things are going good in our lives, we often account this to our success and our efforts, and that's natural. Because you're the person who's losing sleep at night when you're thinking about the budget. Or you're losing sleep at night as you think about what's on your plate, all the things you need to get done in the next few weeks at work. Or you're the one who's having to make decisions that are going to have a direct impact as to whether something succeeds or, or something fails. Or you're the one in the classroom who's having to develop these strategies to help these children learn and if you don't put in the time and you don't put in the effort, it's, it's not going to be as good as it could be. Or you're the, you're the person who, who's working super hard, getting to the office early, leaving the office late, because you're, you're working for that promotion to, to have a little breathing room in your personal budget at home. Look, I'm not denying your efforts. It's an important thing that we work hard, and that we work hard as if we're working for the Lord, and we strive for a good life. Those are important things, but... What if there's more at play than just your efforts? What if there's more at play than just your efforts? And hear me out. What if, this is going to sound a little weird, this is going to sound a little crazy if you don't already think this way, but what if we live in an enchanted world? Like, there is more than just physical matter. Like, you are more than flesh and bones. And, and, and the, the things you see around you, like, there's more at work than just physical matter. What if there's some spiritual force at work that you can't see? And what if that spiritual force is actually responsible for far more than you can comprehend? You see, when Pastor Brian says, look at God, go, he's acknowledging that his efforts only got him so far. And that someone else or, or some spiritual force is responsible for the result, responsible for the outcome. And that spiritual force is Yahweh. That spiritual force is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So normally what we would do is we would, we would walk you through the text and we would um, put forth all these things and help you, help you come to this 
conclusion at the end of, of our sermons. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you all of it on the front end to help, help us understand where we're going this morning. So this is what, this is what we're going to see in the text that we're wrapping up today because we're wrapping up Psalm 46. This is what we're going to see. We're going to see the psalmist giving God all the glory that he is due, and this is the big part, inviting the listener, inviting the reader to experience the sovereignty of God. So if you do have your Bible with you, uh, if you're like me and and you're weird and carry a physical Bible around still, uh, open up to Psalm 46. If you don't know where that is, open up the front of your Bible and you'll see a table of contents. You'll see two major sections, and that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is just everything before Jesus came, and the New Testament is the life of Jesus and the start of the church. Psalm 46 is going to be in the Old Testament. And when you get there, the large numbers are the chapters, and the smaller numbers are the verses. So we're in Psalm 46, and we're wrapping up the text today. So we're starting in verse 8, and we're going to the end. And it says this, Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So this is how we're going to approach the text this morning. We're going to break it up into two sections. And the first section is going to start with verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done. And the second section is going to be be still and know that I am God. And we're going to, we're going to approach them in reverse order. So we're going to start in verse 10 this morning. And as we do, I have a question for you. Who would say that they are a doer? And what I mean by that is when a problem is presented in front of you, your instinct is, I need to solve this problem. Or when something happens in your life, you're like, I need to do something. Anybody? Or are we just afraid to raise our hands? Okay. Who would say they're married to a doer, but that doer doesn't want to raise their hand right now? Okay. Awesome. Thanks. I'm not alone. You see, I personally, I relate to that. I I am more of a doer, and I don't think my wife likes that because when she comes home after a long day and she just needs the vent, I'm not the person she vents to because she's telling me there's all these things wrong. And and in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is how you fix it. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. People don't like me. They they don't vent to me because of that because I'm a doer. If if you're going to give me a problem, I'm going to try to find a solution for you. You see, I think the doer mentality is really common for for people, especially people in Western culture. Because when you think about it, we're raised in in a culture that emphasizes this principle that hard work leads to success. And I'm not denying that, but I think it it can become very unhealthy if it's not framed in the right light. What happens when hard work does not lead to success? What happens when hard work isn't kept in check and you end up working 50, 60, 70 hour work weeks? What happens when you do everything right but things still fall apart? Things don't go as planned. Or what happens when it becomes part of your identity? And the, the cousin of the doer mentality is egotism. 
Why? Because I have done these things, therefore I have achieved these things. Now look at me. Look at what I've done. Look how great I am. And I get it. No one says that. A lot of people think it. And it might be subtle. It might be buried in, in, the, in the bottom or in the very back of your mind. But we think, this is what I've done. This is what I've achieved. Look at me. Egotism. We, we become prideful. And all this is a product of our society and our culture that values independence and self-reliance. Now, please hear me when I say that. I'm not trying to critique the United States. I'm trying to critique our culture because it's not just the United States. It's, it's Western culture. We, we rely heavily on independence and self-reliance. And because of that, look at the things I've done. This is what I've accomplished. Look at me. But here's the problem. That egotism, it's not sustainable. Because you know, at least I, I, I hope you know, or maybe there's going to be a point in your life where you come to realize that sometimes your efforts are not enough. You put in the hours, the extra hours at work, and you don't get the promotion. You till the soil, you plant the crop, you irrigate, you still get a, a, a terrible harvest. You teach your child about Jesus, you make faith the center of the home, but then they go away to college and they walk away from their faith. Or you work hard, you save up for retirement, economy crashes, stock, everything crashes and it's gone. The doer mentality is naive to, to the full picture. If everything relied solely on you and your efforts, then you would have the potential to control your life. But you know, as well as I do, that it doesn't. There are so many variables in life. There are so many things outside of your control, and sometimes it feels like you're just barely hanging on. And the hardest part, the hardest part about all of this is that when that is happening, it impacts the depths of your soul. Here's what I mean. You start telling yourself, I'm not good enough. You're not a good enough mom. You're not a good enough dad. You're not a good enough employee. You're not a good enough son. You're not a good enough daughter. You're not a good enough boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. And you feel like despite all of your efforts, you feel like you're failing. You are a failure. And if you start to categorize your life into different things, work, home, whatever, you start thinking, okay, I'm I feel like I'm failing in this section and this section and this section. That's the problem. If you haven't experienced this yet, there's going to be a point in your life where you will. And when that time comes... I hope you have this bookmarked. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. You see, the Hebrew here is really interesting. That, that was the original language that this was written in was Hebrew. And it's really interesting. It's a good translation. Be still and know that I am God. Your translation might look a little different. And that's because this text is a little nuanced. 
There are some implications that we don't get when we translate it. Like the meaning is lost in translation. It's good translation. It means what it means, but there, it's more to it. If you, if you are Jewish and you read Hebrew and you read this, there's, there's some things that we don't get by, being, by reading it in English. And so I reached out to my Hebrew professor. I'm like, hey, I'm seeing this. Am I imagining it? And he says, no, actually, you're right on track. So let me try to explain what's going on here. If you could imagine for a moment that you're in a workshop. It's a small workshop. There's tools covering the walls. And there's a workbench at the center. It's just a spotlight on the workbench. And you're running from wall to wall. You grab a tool and you're working. You grab a tool, you're working. Now you need this. So you go and you grab this. <coughs> it's been days. You're at it because you know that there's a deadline. You haven't eaten. You're exhausted. You're, you just have to grab a new tool. You start working. You're working. You're working. Sweat is just dripping down your face. You're doing everything you can to accomplish this task. And in the corner of the room is God. And in a firm voice, he says to you, stop. Stop what you're doing. Be still. That's what's happening here in this text. Stop what you're doing. Put it down. Step aside. And when he says, know that I am God, it's not, it's not necessarily remember what I've done. It's not a knowledge thing. It somewhat is, but it, think of it as experiential. When he says, know that I am God, he's saying, step back, let me step in, and let me show you what I can do. How often is the person in the workshop, us, running around trying to, to craft this perfect life? If we just put in the right time, if we just put in our energy and our efforts, this will be the outcome. And God is telling us, be still and know that I am God. These words are, they're an invitation to rest. Because all too often, we think that everything comes down to what we can do. God in this text, he's testifying to his own ability. Like when you look at in verse 10, it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When I read that, it looked future tense. But in the, in the Hebrew, it's not necessarily future tense. So when I look at my, my Hebrew Bible, it actually says, I dominate the nations. I dominate the earth. God's saying, be still. And know that I am God. I am the one who is in control. So now, now go back to the be still and know that I am God. And focus on that last half. Know that I am God. I said it once, but this isn't a reference to our mental capacity. This isn't like knowing 2 plus 2 equals 4. This isn't like looking at your Bible and knowing, okay, yeah, God is good. Yes, God loves me. God created the world. It's not a knowledge thing. 
This is God inviting us to experience his sovereignty, to experience what he is capable of doing in our lives. And once we experience what he is capable of, then we will know that he is above all things. So here's what I mean. I have two examples for you. I'm gonna, I have two stories to share with you to, to try to get you to understand what I mean here. The first one is my own salvation experience, and the second one is my relationship with my dad. And they both, they both call on this, be still and know that I am God. Because for me, I wouldn't say necessarily that I grew up in a Christian home. Like when you think of the Christian home and families having Bible studies together and having dinner together at the table and praying and, and sharing about what God's doing, that wasn't my life. <clears throat> my, my parents took me to church when I was really young, and I was in Awana. Anyone, anyone go to Awana when they were little or be a, they were in Awana? Te- no? Oh, awkward. Okay, so I was in Awana, and I had this little vest. I think I was in the Cubbies or something like that. Anyways, so you, you do these memory verses. You get these badges, and it was awesome. And problem was there was the, this conflict that was stirring within the church. And my parents were like, we want nothing to do with that, so they left. But we never found another home church. And I know what you're thinking. You don't need to, be, you don't need to, to go to church to be a Christian. Sure, you should. You should be a part of a community of believers. And nonetheless, um, so I'm young. So throughout my elementary years, middle school, all that, like I'm not in church. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say faith was like the center of our home. Like, we, like I said, we weren't praying together, reading the Bible together. Um, <clears throat> and so there was this, my parents were believers, but that just wasn't like, anyways. So fast forward to high school. I don't have a relationship with God. And I meet this girl who does have a relationship with God. And we start dating, and she invites me to youth group, so I start going to youth group. I'm a junior in high school. I start going to youth group with her. And then her family invites me to church Sunday mornings, so I'm going to church with her and her family Sunday mornings. And, um, and then I'm spending time with her family, and something just seems different about them. Like, they're, they're sitting down together at the table eating a meal and praying, and it was different. You see, my parents, um, they wanted a really good life for me and my siblings, and there are a lot of us. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm a Mexican family. We, we are a big family. And so my parents, they worked really hard. They worked long hours to be able to provide for us so we could do things like, and I'll get to that, but summer camp, I'll get to that in just a moment. Anyways, so it was a different experience. And I remember uh, this girl, she pulled me aside, and she's like, hey, I really, I need to, I need to know you're a Christian because I can't be dating a Christian. In my mind, I'm going back to my memory verses from Moana, and I quote John 3.16. I was like, oh, we're good. And I quote John 3.16, and silly, she was like, oh, okay, cool. And so we, uh, that was a bad representation. I apologize. Anyways, we keep dating, and mind you, remember, I'm not a Christian, and I do something terrible. I'm not proud of. I'm not the man I was 15 years ago. And I end up cheating on her. Um, and, and so that created just complete chaos in my life. It was the darkest moment in my life, and it was, I felt so alone. And by the grace of God, she stayed friends with me. And near the end of my junior year, she said, Brian, you should go to summer camp. 
okay, what is summer camp? I've never been to some, what is this summer camp you speak of? And she explains it. A bunch of Christians get together, they sing songs, they, they learn about the Bible, and, and they play a bunch of games together. I'm like, okay, interesting. And so I walk away from the conversation, and in my head I'm thinking, oh, that sounds pretty cool. So I make a deal with God, and I tell God, I will go to summer camp, God, if my best friend goes. And in my head I'm thinking, ha, my best friend's not a Christian, he's not going to want to go, and his name is Matt. And so I go to him, I say, hey, Matt, uh, would you like to go to Christian summer camp? And I emphasize it, Christian summer camp with me? He told me yes. <laughs> Matt, you're my way out. What are you doing? And so I'm like, okay, all right. So then I go and I talk to the youth pastor. His name is Corey Ingstrom, coolest dude. And I'm like, Corey, interested in summer camp. What can you tell me? He's like, that is amazing. You should go. We're really close to summer camp, though, and I don't have spots, so you need to call the camp and talk to them. I'm like, okay, it's my way out. So I make a deal with God, and I say, God, if you want me to go to summer camp, you're going to have to make a way for it to happen. So I call the camp. It was called RCP, Redwood Christian Park. So I call RCP, and um, I'm like, hey, uh, not just one, but two people. Do you have room for two people at your camp? And they say, oh, yeah, we got plenty. Yeah, you're good. Come on in. Uh, send your money to us. I was like, okay, awesome. Weird. Alrighty, so we go to RCP, and Matt and I are put into this cabin called Redwood. And the thing is, Redwood isn't a cabin. It is a house at the center of, of the camp, and only senior boys are allowed to be in this cabin. Somehow I made it. There were boys there from middle school all the way through high school that are just dreaming when they're a senior. Oh, I want to be in Redwood. I took their spot. So I'm in Redwood. It's me, my friend Matt. It's our church, and there are a few other churches because Redwood's big. It's like a giant frat house, minus all the bad things of a frat house. Uh, and so there's this church from Sacramento there with us, and there's this counselor. His name's John Lane. Somehow John Lane and I connected. I don't understand it. We just connected. He's not my counselor. He's not supposed to be my counselor, but he becomes the guy that I connect with, and I start pouring my life out to, I don't, I don't know what it was. The whole week, he's invested in me. We're doing one-on-ones. I'm sharing things with him I've never shared with anybody. One day, we go to the beach, and I'm sitting on the beach, and I'm just bawling my eyes out because life is horrible. I, I messed up. I had this, this terrible relationship. Uh, my, my, me and my dad aren't clicking because we, we have the same personality, and we're both hard-headed, so we get into arguments, and I'm just like, life is horrible, and John's there. He's holding me. He's consoling me. He's like, life, I'm so sorry. I get it, and then evening comes, and it's one of the last nights, and the speaker, I couldn't tell you anything the speaker taught on the entire week, but what I can tell you is this night, he tells all the students, if there's anyone in the room who has never given their life to Christ and they want to, we're going to give you that opportunity. And he, he invited the band back up. And the band starts playing. He says, we have counselors up here. It's, it's your decision. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, just come up. These, these counselors will pray with you. And here's what's strange. The entire week, I've sat in the middle. I've sat in the back. But for some reason, this night, I'm in the front row and off to the side. Doesn't make sense. Why? I don't know why I'm there. Front row, off to the side. And I remember it, everyone stood up and, and the music's playing, and I'm standing there, 
and my head is down. I'm just looking at my feet, and everything inside of me is saying, go forward. Just go forward. This is what you want. But for some reason, my body is frozen. And, and I'm, I'm so mad at myself. There's this internal battle happening, and I'm just looking down at my feet, and I know I can, I can sense time dwindling. Time is dwindling. This moment's going to pass, and something inside of me says, Brian, look up. And I'm fighting it. No, I'm not. It says, Brian, look up. No, I'm not going to. Brian, look up. And the moment my eyes raise, who is it that's sitting on the steps directly in front of me? John Lane. And our eyes lock with each other. And it just felt like everything's frozen. It felt like forever. And then all of a sudden, he's just motioning, come here. And it makes sense. He, all of a sudden, I feel like he's closer and closer. And I, my, oh, my body's moving. I'm taking steps. And before I know it, I'm at the steps. I'm down on my knees, and I'm crying. He's like, Brian, what do you want? And I just tell him, John, I want Jesus. That's all I want. I just want Jesus. And he says, oh, Mike, that's what, let's pray. That's amazing. And that was the night that I was saved. That was the night that I chose to follow Jesus to give my life to him. And looking back on that experience, I realized all the things that had to happen in my life to bring me to that moment in time, to bring me to that place. Aside from everything growing up in my childhood, I had to meet that girl my junior year. Uh, we had to start dating. I had to do something horrible. She had to stay my friend. She had to invite me to summer camp. My friend Matt had to say yes. The camp had to have space. They had to put me in Redwood. I had to meet John Lane. I had to be in the front row. And the biggest one that blows my mind, John had to break his own rule about inviting someone up. And when I asked him about it later, he said, God was telling me, if you don't invite Brian up, he's not going to move. He said, the Holy Spirit was, was stirring in me. Like, I need, I need to give Brian a little push. And praise God. Praise God for that. But when I talk about God's sovereignty, how God is in control of all things, that's what I mean. All these things had to happen for me to be here to be saved, to be in the grace of God. That's the sovereignty of God at work. That is what he's capable of. So that was the first story. I want to share with you one more. I mentioned it, but, you know, starting in middle school, my dad and I, we didn't, we were, we were, my dad was amazing when I was younger, but for some reason, you could say teenage years, but when I entered middle school and high school, I started to become pretty stubborn, pretty, pretty hard-headed, hot-headed, and I'm just like my dad. <laughs> like, my dad was the same way, and so naturally, we just butted heads. I remember arguing with my dad. 
thinking I knew more than my dad, yelling at my dad, my dad yelling back at me. Like, that's the relationship we had. And when I became a Christian, I said, God, I've, I've heard of things you can do. God, I really want you to heal this relationship between me and my dad. So I gave it to God. Just gave it to him. And I was praying, constantly praying. And that, so I was saved in 2008, throughout 2009, 2010. During that time, God is working on my heart. And he's softening me. And what I didn't realize is my, God was working on my dad's heart as well and softening him. And little by little, our relationship grew and grew and grew, and it flourished. And you see, my dad passed away in February of 2016, and I can say, I can proudly say that the last four, five years of my dad's life, we were close, a closeness that I dreamed of. And it was only possible because of God. You might say, well, Brian, it's because you grew up. No, I, I know so many men who still have terrible relationships with their dads. And it's not because they haven't grown up. It's because we have hardened hearts. But I can tell you, I gave it to God. And God worked in a way that I thought was impossible. God worked. So when I tell you God is encouraging you to experience his sovereignty in your life, that is what I mean. Knowing who God is, it's not a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of experience. I know who God is because of the things that I have seen him do in my life. So when God says, be still and know that I am God, that's what he means. He means he's in control. And he's the only one who can do the impossible. You see, for the Jewish people who read this text, they understood that. They experienced the sovereignty of God. They experienced God's provision in their life. I mean, if you just look at the book of Exodus, you'll see Israel, the Jewish people, they're slaves in Egypt. And God delivers them out of that delivers them. He parts seas so they could walk through. He, he drops down food from the sky. He gives them water from a rock. They've experienced the sovereignty of God. They can rest knowing that he's in control. That's why I started in verse 10 this morning. Because 8 and 9 are a testimony to how great God is. So when you look at verse 8, is the, the psalmist is saying, come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Look at God go, providing all over the place. This psalm is a testimony to God's provision in life. Even when life is crumbling down all around you, even when things we thought were solid and sturdy and they fail us, God is sovereign. God is our strength. God is our mighty fortress. So here's my challenge to you this morning. I have three challenges, and you get to pick which one you want. So the first one, if you're like, hey, Brian, I love it. I feel like this is where I am. I feel like I've been able to be still and know that 
God is who he says he is, and you're at a place where you really trust in God, man, that's amazing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to share something God has done in your life with someone that God has placed in your life. Here at FBH, we call this your oikos. It's Greek for extended household. It means the people that God has placed supernaturally and strategically placed in your life for you to share your faith with. Not me. I don't know them. You know them. So what has God done in your life that you can say, look at God, go. Share that with somebody God has placed in your life. That's the first one. That's the first challenge. And if you're thinking to yourself, "Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's really doing anything. Like, life seems pretty good right now. Man, maybe, maybe it's not that God hasn't done anything. Maybe it's that you haven't trusted him. Maybe you're still relying on your own efforts. You're still relying on what you can do. You're really white-knuckling it. Even when things are really hard, you're trying your hardest, and you get through, and you're like, oh, yeah, I got it through. No. For you, the challenge is to experience what God can do in your life. Give it to God. That doesn't mean you stop trying. That doesn't mean you stop your efforts. That means it's a, it's a mental and heart thing that you transfer it over to God and say, hey, God, whatever the outcome is, you're in control. I'm giving it to you. I'm trusting you. Those are the first two challenges. And if you're in those boats, I want you to start writing it down, whether it's notes in your phone, whether it's a journal, write down what you're giving to God. And go back. This is how he showed up. So that way in the future, when you're with someone, you can say, look at, look at God go. Look at what he's done in my life. I said there are three challenges. If you're in this room this morning and you haven't put your faith in, in Jesus and, and you're like, I'm not a Christian. You're here because someone invited you. You're here for a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, or, or what have you. Maybe you just stumbled in. It's not by accident that you're here. I've lived, I may be young, but I've lived long enough. There's no accidents. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian, I want to challenge you to challenge God. Just say, God, if you're real, prove it. Show me in my life that you're real. Do something so incredible that there's no way of denying it's, it's you that did this. See what happens. I'm willing to bet God shows up. I put my money on God before I don't. Before I put it on you, I'll put it on God. Those are the three challenges this morning. Be still and know that I am God. Before we wrap up, I want us to read Psalm 46, top to bottom, and just see. This is a testimony to who God is. Let's check it out. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. And the God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We give you all the glory, all the honor. It belongs to you and you alone. God, if there's anyone in this room who who is, is just wrestling with trying to go through life by their own efforts, by what they can do, Holy Spirit, would you stir in their soul this conviction to just rest? to be still, to know that the outcome isn't just on their shoulders, that you are present, you are involved. God, we cast all of that onto you. We trust you. We've seen what what you've done in our lives. We've seen what you've done throughout history. We know that you're good. We know that you show up. Help us to trust you, God. Father, we thank you, and we're so thankful for what you're doing here. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to move, that you would help us to reach the lost in Hanford and in Kings County, that people might feel new life in you, that they would experience new life in you. So we thank you, and we love you. We pray all this in the name and the power and the authority of Jesus. Amen.